Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Anybody have anything? If I got something in my experience, I'll be glad to share it with you. Anybody have anything? Yeah. You come to the, my name's Curtis, I'm an alcoholic. Curtis. Curtis. You get to that point where the plans and design are coming back in, you're bringing back that self-reliance or self-will. You go through a process where it's acceptance of you're the imperfect human being and the alcoholic, or do you take that action and call it an alcoholic and pray? Uh, what do you do when you start taking that stuff back, that self-will or self-reliance? It usually doesn't happen uh, until probably 8 a.m. Um, <laughs> I uh, that at step 10, uh, 11, and 12. I I my my view, and my experience is that they're together. The three of them together, it's like a three-legged stool. Keeps me out of running the universe. Um, but I, I noticed something. If I'm not diligently trying to carry out that decision in step three by helping God's kids and out doing 12-step work, and I indulge self for too long, man, I get I get whacked. And I there's a in, st- in the section in the book on step 12, it says something an interesting thing. And I was sober a long time, probably close to 20 years before I understood, before I got it. It says we must constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show. And I'm sober a long time and I'm reading it and I'm thinking to myself, well, why do they say constantly remind? Oh, because <laughs> I'm constantly trying to run the show. It is my nature to play God. And how do I do it? I, I get up in here in the control center where I like to run the universe up in here. I gotta constantly remind myself I'm no longer running the show. Who can I help? Turn my the book says we turn our attention to who we might help. <coughs> Anybody else? Chris. Um, have you had any experiences in your sobriety, not you know, past say five or ten years, where you've gone through periods where no matter what actions you're taking, you just don't feel the connection to a higher power. And you're staying sober, you're doing all this stuff, and I'm going to couple with another question. You alluded to running away from your alcoholism by going to 15 meetings a week or activity. Have you ever experienced that also in, uh, in later on in sobriety where you're... you're you're doing the ceaseless activity, but it's not tethered to uh, spiritual spirituality and so forth. Yeah, I've gone through that a lot. I just, I'm kind of in a period right now where I was just talking uh, to a very good friend of mine where and I, I don't know what this is about. I find myself hesitant to pray. And it's not that I don't believe in God. It's not, but I, 
I for twenty over twenty six years, I tell you, I rolled out of bed every morning, never missed a morning, and I pray before I did anything. Now sometimes I, I'm up and I'm looking at the stock market or I'm doing something. I re, I'll be there. I'll be up for an hour. Realize, my God, I haven't prayed, and this that's that's scary to me. And I don't know because it's not, and I'm not in a bad spot as a result of it. And then there there have been other times in my sobriety. Praying fervently every day, and it's like I feel like I'm praying to the air, like I'm not connecting with anything consciously. And I, I think that they're, they're one of the great. Uh, I'm not not a Catholic anymore. I was even though I was raised Catholic, but there's some interesting stuff that they talk about. And there's a, I think it's Teresa of Avalon, who was, uh, was one of the great saints, I guess, of the Catholic Church, and she went through a period of over two decades of desolation where she would pray and not just vacantly, without any sense of connection, without any feeling of of God's presence, but she never stopped, and then it turned around on a bit. She was in that desolation for a long time, but she's not an alcoholic. Most alcoholics, you know, we want Four prayers. Where's the reward? I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know what? You know how we are. We want we're the instant gratification people. All right, God, where are you? All right. You know, I, well, I'm not going to Tom. Well, has your concept of God changed when you first decided to have him? How did that process work? Has my concept changed? God, is it? It changes all the time. Um, I don't. I'm always a little hesitant to talk about my concept of God because it's such a, a subjective thing. And I'll talk about it a little bit. And the reason I think it's subjective is that all of us could go out tomorrow night and sit on a hilltop and watch the most beautiful sunset that we've ever seen and then go out and try to tell people what we saw and you'd hear you'd hear as many different versions of what it is it's here because it's an experiential thing. It's hard to put it into words because it's in here. But my concept of God is is has gone from out here something vague and mysterious in the universe uh, to something that is inside me, but it's inside you and it's inside everything. And I I. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a little story, a parable that I, I really like. This really, this I get this. To some of you, it might sound a little far out. And that's why I'm so hesitant to talk about this stuff. There's a, a Hindu, the Hindu view of creation sort of fits my deal. And they have this story of, of creation, unlike the Judo-Christian story that we all grew up with, you know, where God created the heaven and the earth in seven days and Adam and Eve and all that other stuff. Well, their view is that God existed unto himself with nothing else timelessly for eons. And he kind of got bored, sort of. And he, and he decided to create this cosmic game. And the game was that he would break himself up into an infinite number of parts and give all the parts amnesia. And then the game is which parts are going to realize that they're not separate that they are to our God. Which parts are going to claim their inheritance? And the Hindus call that enlightenment. When it just, we call it an awakening. 
Because in, in, if you sponsor, I've talked to a lot of people, I think we all have this experience. If you sponsor a lot of guys over the years and you listen to fifth steps, you start to get it. That what I, I start to fall in love with you, but it's not really you. What is it? I start to fall in love with a me that is in you. As Einstein said, he said the great illusion of mankind was that there's more than one of us here. You hear enough fifth steps and you get it's the same guy. It's the same guy. I mean, I haven't heard anything new in a fifth step for decades. I mean, I want to hear something. I have hope every time I, you know, I listen to one, you know, you know, there's a hope, you know, oh, maybe, maybe this time it'll be something interesting like Visqueen. Uh, baby oil, a vibrating lawn rake, and chunky peanut butter. But no, it's always the same pathetic stuff. You know, it's always the same empty, lonely, vacant, scared person trying to shore their life up and protect themselves, stepping on the toes of everybody around them. You know, it's always, it's, I've never heard anything new, and I haven't heard anything new for, since the beginning. You know, and on a good day, I really get that you're God. Um, and everything is just exactly the way it is. I have no opinions. Um, on a bad day, you're an idiot. <laughs> uh, I think you were first, then didn't you? Uh, I don't know if you experienced it, but have you gotten into depression and been depressed in since you've been in the program? And if so, how did you get out of it? Uh, my first couple years of sobriety, I suffered a lot from depression. And what, what saved me is I did a lot of 12 step work. Uh, when I, in my, between four and five years of sobriety, I went back through the steps and, uh, I, I hadn't suffered for depression in a lot of years after that. And then in my 19th year, I got depressed. I started sinking back into that abyss again. And what had happened to me, uh, and I didn't, I didn't understand it. I see it. I, I could see it in hindsight is that I started becoming, I became very successful in a lot of areas. Financially, I was, I made a lot of money. I had a lot of material stuff. I had a lot of prestige. I was flying around the world. I was, I had a life. I mean, beyond anything I could have ever imagined. I mean, I was buying every, you know, if I just, I had the kind of life I just get a whim and just go buy an $80,000 car and pay cash for it. You know, I had that kind of lifestyle. Um, and I started getting really sick. Uh, and I didn't know what was wrong because I'm still going to meetings. And I'm, and I sponsor guys and I do, I was doing some service and stuff. And I didn't know what was wrong. And what was wrong is that somehow, subtly, incrementally, my primary purpose got shifted away from helping other alcoholics and got shifted back onto me. And I had become my primary purpose. Now, I don't even know how that happened to me. It wasn't a conscious journey. I think it happens incrementally, slowly, until the next thing I know, I am dying spiritually in the middle of an abundant life. And it's bad. And you know something, and some of you know this from your own experience, 
no matter how good it is out here, if it ain't good in here, I'm telling you, it ain't no good. It ain't no good. And I was, I was in a bad spot. And a guy in AA, he hit me with it. He told me that's what he exactly says. He says, ah, you go to a lot of meetings, run your mouth. He says, but I don't think your primary purpose is helping people anymore. I think your primary purpose is you. He said that to me. You know, they say the truth will set you free, but I'll tell you to mess your day up first. <laughs> but he was right. He was absolutely on the money. He was right. And my life would become about my finances, my company, my job, my house, me, 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 me. I, I became a, a lousy sponsor for a while. Here's the kind of guy I became. I, if, if you... I was so wrapped up in all this, in my company and all this other stuff, and that if a guy I sponsored came to me and said, I really need to talk to you, I'd just stand there and he'd be talking. And it's just, it's like, I, I kind of, I don't say it, but I'm kind of feeling like, hurry up. So I can get back to the important thing. Me. <laughs> right? And I don't even know, I'm, I don't even get it that I've, I've become like that. But that's what had happened. And I, that snapped me. And I just tell you, I went back to just, I put every, I said I in myself, I said, I don't care if I lose my company. I don't care what happens to me. I'm, I'm just, I'm doing what I need to do. And within a couple of days, I got new guys in my car. I'm turning the volume up on my, on my commitments. I'm, I'm back doing, I went from one, uh, I, I slacked off from two back to one hospital institution meeting. Now I'm going to three or four. I'm, I'm doing 12-step work. I'm going out with central office on the calls. I'm, you know, I'm back on fire again. And, uh, Bill, Bill Wilson uh, was a depressive alcoholic of my type. And I, I went to, you know, big, there's a big, there's this mystery that people talk about. Well, did you know what happened to Bill Wilson? He's sober a number of years. He got really de- suicidally depressed. And, as if it's, as if it just happened to him. It didn't just happen to him. I went to stepping stones on a couple occasions. I've sat, I sat in the house that Bill Wilson lived in and I sat there and I got it what had happened to him because I could picture it happening to me. Now here's Bill Wilson, uh, sober a couple years. He has a wife that he, he owes big time. She supported him. I mean, he's never given her a place to live. They went through a period where they were sleeping on people's couches in AA. Uh, they lost Clinton Street. They had no, and they have an opportunity to get really their dream house, their dream house. And how could Bill, how could Bill coming from behind deny Lois that? And it was a beautiful, it's a beautiful house. And it, back in those days, it was way out in the middle of nowhere, way out in the country, upstate New York. And here's Bill Wilson, a guy who's on fire with a purpose down at the Calvary Chapel Mission, down on Skid Row, at the office, at the 24th Street Club in New York as the new guys come in. He's hands-on working with newcomers daily. And all of a sudden, he's out in the middle of nowhere, a place that really was like a half-day, almost a long journey to get back into the trenches. And he never lost contact. But you know the kind of contact Bill started having? People would come to see him, kind of like they visit the Pope. Right? And I could picture myself, get, I, I'd been depressed too. Because the thing that vitalizes my spirit 
Now I'm not, it's, I go from a daily thing. And isn't it weird that Bill in his story for, he, he prophesied that. He said something that hadn't happened. This is, and he wrote that, his story was written before he ever hit those big depressions. But he says in his story that unless the alcoholic will expand his spiritual life through self-sacrifice and constant work with others, he'll never survive the certain trials and low spots ahead, meaning they're coming, but they hadn't hit him yet when he wrote that. They hit him later. And he had, he'd got off the... I, I, I pictured years ago, I was going to buy... I went over to... Uh, first time I ever went over to Maui, I fell in love with it. I, I was, went to the back side of the island, this most beautiful place I'd ever been called Hana. Some of you may have been there. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to buy a And I had the money. I'm going to buy a house on the beach. This will be great. I'll just be in paradise. And I'll tell you, I would have died there. I'd have died in the middle of paradise. Because I'd have got sick in here because there wouldn't have been a... There, I'd, I'd been trying to 12-step goats or something. I mean, I didn't, you know, I don't know what I would have done, but I'd have been in a bad, I'd have been in a bad spot. One meeting a week, you know, and half the people there, if you've ever been to the meeting, half the people there are smoking pot. I mean, I'd have, I'd have died there. I mean, I'd have died right in the middle of paradise. I, I, I'm, I believe, and I don't know this to be true, but I tell you, I've sat in, in stepping stones in Bill Wilson's house and I could picture myself Sinking into a deep self-imposed depression because it's not, it's all about me now, right? I could picture that. I could. What 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 did he have to relieve him of the bondage of self? Really, not Lois. You know, not the employees at the general service office. Yeah, I could. Man, I'm. I was there. I could imagine that. Anyway, there was one who was. You? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Hi, Tom. Um, uh, I struggle with uh, having a conscious contact with my higher power. And uh, I find that when I go to AA meetings, which I go to a lot of, that is where I become the most conscious of contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you do it outside the AA meetings? Not as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I'm I, there's a if if I go to a meeting in the right frame of mind, I get I, ten, eleven, and twelve. It happens to me in the meeting because I'll I'll hear you share about your struggles with self-centered fear or, or resentments or judgments or stuff, and I'll, call, I'll I'll be sitting there thinking, oh my god, I'm doing that. I didn't even I wasn't even cognizant until I heard you talk about doing. That. I think I've been doing that all morning. Uh, or I'll hear you talk about God and, and your relationship with God, and I'll realize, man, I got this, I'm disconnected here. And I will start to turn my consciousness in His direction again. And then there's always the vehicle. I've never been to a meeting where there's not a vehicle to be of service. I mean, nothing else, just looking at, just going up to the newest guy after the meeting and just, you know, talk, just cutting into him, talking to him a little bit. Um, I don't, I don't, I know we practice these principles all of all our affairs, but there's I tried churches in, in sobriety, and uh, first of all, they don't let me share, which I'd never uh, liked. <laughs> but, but seriously, there's not there there really if if I'm closest to God, and this is really my experience when I'm helping his kids, there's not a place on the planet more divinely crafted for me to be connected to God than in alcoholics. Anymore. 
I, this is I my whole life, all the horrible stuff I've gone through, drunk or sober, has crafted me to be ultimately available and of service in AA. I can't be of service as effectively in a church or a civic organization as I can be in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't be helpful in the community and do those things, but I'm not going to get the deal I get here anywhere else, really. I can't. I mean, my whole life is to bring me to this point right here. Hey, Hank. Um, first, have you ever had the experience where you're, you're um, sitting in meetings and, and wondering, maybe there's no God, maybe just AA that's doing this, and then um, and, and not wanting to think that way, being like, is it just this group? And then uh, secondly, whereas uh, you've gone off on a tangent and picked up 50 different kinds of books, and next thing you know, you're more confused than you were when you started. Mm-hmm. Um, how much time do you have? Well, I had a guy, I think we all go through those periods of doubting stuff and questioning stuff. I had a guy come up and ask me to sponsor him years ago, a bright guy. I mean, very intelligent, like probably IQ of 180, I imagine. Very schooled, a lot of degrees, smart guy. And I'm working with him, and he says to, he says to me one day, he says, are, are you open-minded? I said, well, I'll try to be, I, I think. I don't know why. What, what's on your mind? He said, I was just wondering if you were open-minded enough to consider that maybe God's really not done any of this for you. You keep saying it is. Could you consider the possibility that maybe there isn't a God, and it's just you're believing that there is that has conned yourself into a new way of life, and that's really what's behind it? He said, "Can you are you open-minded enough to consider that? And I thought, I, and I had funny thoughts, a little, little bit along this line, not exactly, but a little bit. And I thought, you know something? You might be right. You might very well absolutely be right. And I might get to the end of my life and find out it was all an illusion, there's nothing there, that it was just an illusion. But I'll tell you something. On the square, I would rather live my life with this illusion than go back into that desperation and desolation dying. I would rather have the illusion because this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I, reading all the other books, I've done that. I, I, I became a therapist at one point, a counselor at one point. I, I, I read, oh God, I, everything from Ram Dass to I mean, Alan Watts, Jake Krishnamurti. I mean, I just I went crazy. Um, I tried a whole bunch of stuff. And there's a, I'll tell you a little story. This is, a, I heard this right at, I heard this right at the time that I'm coming back full circle after trying a whole bunch of stuff in AA and being vacant. And I came back to the steps. And I came back to doing just AA and surrendering myself completely to this program and stopping all the other crap. And here's the story. I, I, list, I was working for a guy and I was not a good employee. It's not that I'm not a good employee. I just so easily know how they're not doing it right. You know, I'm one of those kind of ways. And this guy gives me a set of tapes to listen to. Not AA tapes. This is not AA. It's a set of motivational tapes by a guy named Earl, Hy- Earl, Earl Nightingale called Lead the Field. 
And there's a story on this tape that Earl starts telling it on the tape. And he says it's true. And the story is about this guy who grows up in South Africa. And he, back in the 1800s, and he inherits this ranch from his father. And it's a nice ranch. I mean, it's not a mega rich ranch, but it's a good, good living, good deal. But he inherits it at the time when the diamond boom is going on in South Africa. And so he's hearing these stories of these guys becoming Bill Gates rich like overnight. And the more he hears the stories of their abundance, the more dissatisfied he becomes with what he's got. Now, we all kind of get that. You know what I mean? You know, the boy, I'm the kind of guy who can buy a, a, a custom Harley Davidson. I only get four blocks. I see one that's nicer. You know, I'm that kind of guy, right? I just, so he gets dissatisfied and he gets more and more depressed over not being this mega rich guy until he finally sells his ranch. Takes the, the proceeds from the sale and he invests it in equipment to go out into the bush obsessed with striking it rich. But he spends his whole life out there. And he never does strike it rich and he dies bitter, broke, and alone. Matter of fact, I just, a guy just showed me an account where there's one account where he threw himself into the ocean, committed suicide eventually. I don't know which account, Earl's account or this other account's true, but he came to a bad end. And it came to pass that this ranch that he sold to, to these developers one day, uh, Earl's telling the story about how they're moving these rocks, clearing some land, and they find these unusual rocks. They don't know what they are. They take them down. They find out that they're diamonds, raw, uncut diamonds in the rough. And it comes to pass that this ranch is the largest diamond deposit ever recorded in South Africa. And these two brothers, all of a sudden, are the two of the richest men on the planet. And one day they're, they're, they're just trying to decide what to name this company now that they're, they've had to put into place to, to mine and mark, cut and market these diamonds. And the one guy says to the other, well, let's name it after that poor son of a bitch that we bought the ranch from. What was his name? And the other guy says, oh, his name was De Beers, wasn't it? And I'm reading this story, and I'm thinking, I'm that idiot, right? I'm, the, I'm looking everywhere else, and in the beginning of every meeting that I ever went to, these are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program recovery. Oh, yeah, that's nice, but I'm going to go over here and do this. These are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. That's good, but I think I need a new relationship. These are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. I'm going to chant in Namni Yoho Renge Kill with the Buddhists. These are the steps we took. You know, right? I'm a knucklehead. It's right there. I don't have to look out here. God's already given me absolutely everything I need for my f complete fulfillment as a person with this malady of the spirit called alcoholism. It's always been right there in front of me all along. We got, we got to end it? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.